on the Ether Review today. Roman Mandelau, the brilliant mind behind EtherCamp, joins us to explain the virtual accelerator platform powering the EtherCamp hackathon. And then we hear from a few of the participants. First up is ArtChain, a provenance tracking startup for artworks. Next is the decentralized court arbitration infrastructure. And finally, Project Oaken, an IoT solution. <laughs> we do one of these days. But how's how has tell tell me about the uh the virtual accelerator. How has it been? How's the EtherCamp hackathon been going along? And because you did one in January, yeah, and it had stellar turnout. I think there were about three hundred and fifty people in that one. And this time around, you've got well over a thousand. I mean, obviously, it's been a massive success. Well, uh, it's it's really doing very very well, and we can see a long list of very interesting ideas, really competing for the first reward and actually for audience attention. So it's we are in the middle, you know. So we have ten more days for the competition. So it's a little bit early to summarize, and I hope we're going to do another one, uh, maybe a week after everything is going to be over. So you know, actually to summarize it for real, with you know the winners and maybe the second place, and uh, you know uh, to do a real summary. Uh, so it's too early to actually put some line here, but. We already can see that the requirements is there. And the requirements, as I defined it, is actually to identify startups that worth uh, the effort of putting your uh, resources into them. This is why this is why this virtual accelerator stuff is the first uh, you know website, crowd uh, crowdfunding website to actually ask startups to code something and show something before asking for the money. Right, so this is something that's unique about us, and I think it's starting to to play to play nicely because uh, people who actually have something on their hand already asking uh, other people for uh, funding and for resources. They already started to ask for resources, and they already get funded by you know by random accounts around the network. So uh, all the system kind of starting to emerge itself, and. Uh, yeah, we can go into details maybe if you want to. So, so actually, to to begin with, can you can you outline why you uh, where the idea for the virtual accelerator came from, and then how it works? Yeah, well, uh, we kind of trying to find for ourselves how this should look like during the during our you know uh, blockchain Ethereum development. And kind of studying how stuff is working in this uh, uh, freedom-oriented society, right? It's connecting to my uh, how you say it uh, to, to my big love and passion for startups and people working hard to make something very innovative, you know, and and actually introduce something uh, that's going to take you know uh, our life, make our life better, and you know. Uh, provide us with something that we didn't have before. So we kind of trying to connect all these dots and bring uh, bring this idea into blockchain, connect this to the blockchain smart contracts technology and see if we can make life of this startup better, of people that are doing the startup better. And uh, thinking about all this, uh, the current version, um, 
of the current version of the virtual accelerator kind of starting to look like what what we really dream about, right? So how does the virtual accelerator work? Basically. Okay, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right. Let's let's take it down to, to more more simple words, right? More simple words. So we invited teams to compete for a big reward. Uh, we we offering fifty thousand dollars in cryptocurrency to a winner, right? We also invited a lot of uh, respectful uh, uh, judges uh, to give them votes uh, to you know to pick the right startup, right? To make better chance to pick a real winner here uh, for the first place, and uh, it's also give a startup some exposure. Uh, with the right people, right? So uh, all this given, uh, we also have this functionality of starting a token during the competition and ask uh, open audience for a funding. And this funding hopefully will be good for R&D and, uh, you know, to make first steps uh, of building your idea, of building a real company out of your idea. So this is the outline and uh, what we provided at our system is actually a, a connection between what we know from social networks and what we already know from smart contracts. So we're kind of trying to connect them and the people who will jump to Hack Eater Camp uh, newsfeed, they will see all the sequence of events that we already had during this hackathon. So uh, it's kind of, you know, a nice conversation around different events so it, it's kind of starting to look like a social network for uh, you know startups and uh, you know participants in startups and on the other hand you also can see startups already getting funds from the public you know from audience and uh, this is the and this funds is structured during the smart contract so this is the connection this is the, the connection that we're trying to do and uh, the second version we had one a year ago, and the second version looks uh, uh, much more, much closer to this, you know, to this uh, intention. Can you describe the actual uh, smart contract infrastructure that underlies the virtual accelerator? Uh, I will start with the structure of the DST. And the DST, what we call a DST, is a decentralized startup team. It's a basic contract that ensures that the funds that was sent to a, a particular team is uh, being spent by uh, by the team but keeps uh, keeps some uh, voting rights for the people who sent this funding during the competition so if the voters or let's say the like the first early adopters of this uh, you know of this of the particular startup if they don't like something in the management of the startup, they can actually uh, vote against spending these funds, you know. So it keeps some control uh, on the resources of the startup. And and this control is basically very valuable to keep some respect to the, you know, to the early adopters. And so how does the Hacker Gold system uh, f- like figure into this? Right. So Hacker Gold is uh, what is the it, it is actually the formal currency of the hackathon. So all the funding of all the startups, all the particular tokens of the startups is done by one currency that we started. We call it a Hacker Gold and the the HK, HKG is the uh, abbreviation for this uh, token. 
So, uh, and, and we have a very, very big interest for this. We already have almost 600 people actually acquired this token and send us Ether for this. So using this token, people actually can exchange this token for a particular token of a startup and basically give this token as a resource uh, to these startups. And the startups can use this uh, later uh, for, you know, for using this for as a currency. So what are some of the camps, some of the projects that you find the most interesting in the, uh, in the hackathon at this stage? Well, it's a tough question because I do have some, uh, and uh, it's hard for me in this stage, you know, mention one or two. So I can mention maybe 10. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's talk about 10 interesting startups that we see. And basically, I'm taking the 10 that are most voted today on the scoreboard. And they're uh, most voted for the reason because they're really doing a good job uh, on presenting their idea and actually working on their idea and also doing the marketing. So we see now if we going to uh, sort our uh, scoreboard by voting, you will see that the first place is now Archain, and Archain is uh, talking about reputation, reputation of art using blockchain. So we have CoinDash that uh, uh, managing portfolios for crypto assets. We see Prezzo that want to solve spam. We see decentralized court, uh, which kind of uh, states it for themselves. Decentralized court arbitration is very important in the blockchain world. We see decentralized hedge fund, uh, also don't need to explain, but I think they have very interesting startup uh, structure. Ether risk uh, doing uh, insurance for uh, flight delays, very interesting business model. Uh, we have project Oaken, which is IoT, Internet of Things kind of stuff for for cities, uh, so it's devices for communication inside cities. Also, very interesting idea. Verite uh, doing oracles. We have Solidifier formal verification for Ethereum network. And by the way, we didn't announce it yet, but maybe it's good time for you to have one announcement on your show. And this guy is actually going to have two hundred Ether from us of being the uh, most voted idea before the hackathon. So solidifier, a uh, formal verification. A lot of people actually waiting for a proper way to vo- verify smart contracts, right? Crowdfunded eSport, we see eSport platform. eSport is something that's starting to be very popular. And I just mentioned 10 startups from our uh, panel. And if we'll go next, uh, we will see more interesting startups, but I will stop here, <laughs> right? But but the audience is invited to check our scoreboard because uh, out of uh, 62 startups that I see now, we have 62 startups now on the scoreboard. I think 70% are really active and really uh, fighting for the first reward. And how many people are in, are in these in general, right? How big are, do you have any idea what the uh, average size of one of these uh, teams is? Well, yeah, we have a restriction uh, on our website to keep it between one and four. But I know that some startups are more than four. And just because of our restriction, uh, they uh, kind of mentioned four people. So it was a very, you know, criticized decision. But we decided we don't want to see big teams registering too much on the on this competition and keep it to be seed level startups. So we usually see between one and four people on these teams. 
Hey, well, cool, man. I'm uh, so. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to go and contact these guys and try and organise interviews with them one day and cram them all into one massive episode that covers. Yeah, and I have to say it's going to be a tough job because I I do emailing with them, uh, most of them all the time, and it's a lot of work. So for you <laughs> to try to uh, interview all of them, you're going to have material for next year, maybe more. Hey, well, thanks a bunch, Roman. Awesome to catch up again. And um, next time I'm in, uh, you know, New York or Europe or whatever, let's uh, let's grab a beer. Yeah, thanks, Arthur. Lorenzo, how's it going, mate? Hey, how are you? Not bad. All right, good to have you on the line. Yeah, pleasure, pleasure. Um, we're working rather hard around the clock at the moment, so uh, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't catch up with you the other day, but um, glad to speak now. So for hack.ether.camp, you guys are building out ArtChain, a provenance tracking tool for valuable art. Yeah, essentially, uh, we realized that art assets are very hard to track, very hard to identify, and very hard to um, prove the audit trail of previous owners. So um, that leads to a lot of fraud in the industry, stolen goods being the the key, but also forgeries, fakes, uh, unlicensed copies floating around. And the, the, the legacy system that exists in the arts is that there are knowledge stores and there's very little information shared um, among different participants. So you get an opportunity for that, that fraud to occur, uh, mainly because there's no deed and registry system. So with land, with vehicles, you've got in this country the um, land registry, the DVLA database, both governed by deeds. And art has no such system. There's, there's no way of tracking exactly who has owned what and whether each exchange has been legitimate and so on. So in comes a independent source of truth, the, uh, the public Ethereum blockchain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we realized that then that gap, that lack of a registry was because um, people in the art industry, probably quite wisely actually, um, unlike people who owned, owned money, uh, who only realized this in 2008 with the rise of Bitcoin, uh, that the government isn't a good custodian of their personal data. And so there would be no public name and address registry um, for art uh, in existence with, you know, with the government as a custodian, um, which, yes, has allowed all, this, all, all these issues to occur with regard to mass fraud. We realize that actually the blockchain is that bridge which uh, can unite the benefits of uh, a, a tracking solution and a, a registry uh, in terms of having public certificates so people can debate the provenance and the legitimacy of any work uh, or its ownership and combine that with the privacy uh, that the, the, the uh, blockchain affords for transactors to uh, not release their information uh, apart from on a need-to-know basis. So they can trust a trustless system to uh, transact with um, smoothly and efficiently. So how does this affect the actual value of the art that's being tracked? Does it make the art that 
is uh, being tracked by the system more valuable? As we gain critical mass and we're looking uh, at the moment into bringing the big four um, auction houses and other major galleries in London on the board. The big four. <laughs> yes, yeah, you know, Sotheby's, Christie's, Bonham's uh, and Phillips. Now, what we want, what we need to do is we need to get a, a kind of mutual self-regulation in the art industry um, as to provenance and share that information uh, among the big players in order to then lock down all that, all the, those uh, fraudulent transactions that are occurring. So that's really our next step. As that, as that snowball effect grows, um, as we gain critical mass, we'll start to see a situation where the art chain certificate will eventually become a significant portion of the value of the work in terms of its being able to be transacted with. So if it has, if the work has at any point had a tra- uh, an art chain certificate, then not being able to provide that at point of sale will itself be a red flag for most reputable uh, dealers and uh, brokers in the industry. So that then, of course, if you were to purposely detach the original from the certificate to say, attach that certificate to a fake, you would, in a sense, tank the value of your original, which you then could only keep in your house and could never sell, because now the certificate is then attached to the, you know, the, the false work. So on that basis, we plan to augment the, 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 the certificate with insurance, um, status and so on in in 2017, but conceptually, um, the 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 certificate should become a, a serious uh, store of value in itself. This uh, this raises the question of arts or, or fine arts or fancy art, you know, whatever the uh, the term for for very uh, expensive art has this doll uh, this doll even like a, a, a tripartite existence one as this store of cultural heritage another as a uh, a desirable valuable item in a in a in a symbol of status and then a third as a uh, as a financial instrument that can fluidly uh, move f- uh, over borders internationally without the same stigma as a or without the same uh, scrutiny as say money is this how does all of this kind of weird? How does this kind of tripartite existence uh, roll up into a uh, the tracking system that you guys are working on? So we believe that people are custodians of uh, cultural heritage, and that we should be stewards of um, our patrimony. And certainly in this country, um, we don't really have a sense of that. In France, in Italy, in other nations, even in America. Of, uh, a certain sense of their own history, uh, which I think, to some extent, we've lost in this country. Um, which country, sir? Uh, uh, England. Uh, we don't. We don't really love. We don't really love our our, our, our relics in the same way that that, that the Europeans do. Um, but that that aside, as you say, there's there's the matter of cultural heritage. There's a, art as a store of value, and then there's art as uh, as a desirable uh, object to own. And really, we have to, if we are to fully uh, certify the art industry, we have to embrace all three modes, and, and we are taking steps to do so. For instance, uh, we uh, represent over 40 uh, emerging artists here in London and have been doing so for the past year. 
we sh we throw uh, shows for them live in London uh, and promote their work uh, both on the on the market and uh, as a cultural uh, instantiation of, of what we believe uh, what we believe should be seen. And of course, distributed provenance is where we aim what we're aiming at here. Anybody on the art chain can be an appraiser. You could be an academic in uh, producing a 400-page monograph on a single painting by Rembrandt. Uh, or you could be somebody giving a Facebook like or an Amazon-style review. There's actually, a pro there's actually a provenance curve that we would see as uh, existing between crowd-sourced uh, 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 appraisal and expert appraisal. And sometimes the expert appraisal isn't right. And sometimes the most qualified man actually gets it wrong or is corrupted by some outside influence. So we've realized that actually the blockchain allows us to, dis to distribute that reputation. Well, distribute that, distri distribute that um, rep uh, reputation for success and accuracy in appraisal with actually the quality of, uh, of, of that appraisal on, on, on another curve. So imagine, imagine a, 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 then a, a, a three-dimensional map of, of, that, of, that, of that appraisal um, value. Coming from multiple different sources with varying, uh, with varying, uh, varying reputation and histories of uh, of accuracy, and then I suppose if down the track you find yes, indeed, this has uh, a forgery has been slipped in here somewhere along the way that can be traced back through a uh, through a list of a through a series of appraisals. Of course, yes. And that, of course, is all an indelible record of truth, and people can't finagle their way out of it or, or pass the buck. And you know, there is if there are significant conflicts of interest in the uh, in the art appraisal industry. Insurers rely on Artnet, which is a, a listings website for valuations for contemporary. Um, we've had we've had stories of, uh, from collectors of the artist putting a price on Artnet, which is just they, they fill in a form. They have their own little storefront on, 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 a, on a website. Um, and then uh, an insurance house, when looking at what, what valuation to give a, a contemporary work that's not yet been sold, just looks at the, uh, the um, artist's uh, <laughs> finger in the wind um, what I'd like to have for it, and says, well, that's ratified by the fact that it's on Artnet. But Artnet isn't an appraiser; it's just a website that you fill in a box. So th there's no, there's no, uh, there's no substance to that appraisal whatsoever. And so that's what we're looking to do. We're looking to um, provide that missing link, and the blockchain is that link in so many ways. Uh, economically, culturally, politically, um, in so many industries, but in the arts, because it's such a low-tech industry and one where which actually hasn't seen much movement in the century in the way they do business, we think the blockchain is most disruptive there. That's why we're starting there um, at level nine, our tech accelerator. So our first major uh, production is is the art chain, uh, and and we've realised that actually that's a model for the uh, accelerated disruption of various fields by the blockchain. Now, I know that people listening to this are going to say, yeah, but how do you know that this is the painting that is attached to this certificate uh, on, the, uh, on the chain? But I'm imagining that you don't really need 
anything more than a, uh, a QR code because you're associating this with specific individuals making specific claims. A- am I right? Um, well, I mean, there's, there's uh, very much a dual stream depending on uh, the value of it and its basis in an insurance policy. Um, so we're in, the, we're in the heart of the square mile here in the city of London. Uh, we are uh, within spitting distance of all the major insurers and art insurance is becoming you know, an increase, increasingly uh, lucrative field. So actually it's insurers that will be deciding exactly the extent to which the physical has to be matched to the digital. And we have options from QR codes to Internet of Things chips, uh, which we are implementing in 2017 to track and trace uh, the objects themselves and attach those to the digital certificates. Well, fantastic. This has been uh, this has been great, Lorenzo. And uh, I mean, it's amazing to see how many great and highly developed teams, camps, uh, <laughs> are at the uh... <laughs> businesses. Businesses. The, the thing. The thing about the thing about EtherCamp is that some presumably some teams are teams in a competition, but Artchain is very much a business. It's a startup and it's a company, and we are a company that's entering the EtherCamp accelerate virtual accelerator, and we have accelerated massively thanks to them. And you know, I just want to thank uh, the team at uh, EtherCamp for providing that um, that startup push that we needed to to get off the ground and we've really benefited massively um, however for us we we are a company we exist and we are building what we hope to be or what we know to be actually the next unicorn that comes out of the blockchain Bitcoin was the first um, Bitcoin is email to the blockchains internet you know an art chain is the next killer app um, and we're committed to that uh, and actually emerging from the EtherCamp background. I mean, we've, we've now issued a currency. We've issued the Art Token, which soon uh, in January will become ArtCoin, um, which will float itself um, uh, against other cryptocurrencies uh, as both, a, and both a, 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 a means to run our nodes uh, and also as, as its own as its own currency in itself. So we're very excited about January. Uh, we're very excited that we're going to uh, the EtherCamp hackathon uh, in a couple of days' time. And uh, yes, yeah, looking forward to 2017 really. And, and yeah, we, we have EtherCamp to thank for that. Where can people find out more about uh, what you guys are doing? So you can go to hack.ether.camp and find Art Chain's uh, entry in that competition. We have two days in which to vote. The vote closes at uh, 2 p.m. GMT on Thursday, the 22nd of December. Uh, I'd encourage anybody listening to back a winner and vote for us now. Uh, (laughs) Best place to come uh, until the 22nd when we will be coming to you on various channels. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, on LinkedIn already, and uh, we have a YouTube channel, blah, blah, blah. We're releasing various videos to explain the blockchain and evolutionary potential, both in the arts and in general. And we will be coming with a, a, a full-spec uh, MVP by January the 1st on the art market as a marketplace. 
and as a, as a provenance tracking system. Fantastic. Look forward to seeing it. Pleasure. Pleasure. Good to meet you, Arthur. You too. Cheers, Lorenzo. Great to have you on, Clement. Thank you, Arthur. Okay, so uh, so the decentralized court. Now this is the uh, this is your submission to the hack.ether.camp hackathon. Can you give us a bit of background behind the idea of the decentralized court and uh, and let's take it from there? So the decentralized court is made to arbitrate smart contracts because uh, the blockchain can only be aware of what is inside the blockchain and it can't be aware of other facts and can't give any subjective rulings. So to, to solve this problem, we have to have some external inputs. And traditionally, this has been with arbitrators, which were centralized parties uh, giving some ruling on disputes. So you have some examples of those in Bitcoin with uh, multi-signature assets, for example. But um, we still have some risk of collision between arbitrator and one party. And we want to also arbitrate more complex contract. In the, um, in the demo we're going to make, we will only have some simple uh, buying contract, but you can have insurance contract, freelancer contract, basically any kind of, of contract which would have required an arbitrator. And one important point of the court is that it's decentralized. So you don't have the single point of failure you would have with uh, traditional arbitrators. So how does that decentralization work? So it works with uh, some uh, reputation tokens. For most cases, you will uh, have some uh, arbitrator ruling the cases and you will be happy with it. So it's not really complicated. The arbitrator will be, will be taken at random. But um, in some cases, you may think that the arbitrator was either corrupted or just bad at arbitrating and you want to appeal. And when you appeal, you will have a jury system where people will vote on uh, the dispute and we'll also have some mechanism to move reputation token from a jury member. And to do so, we'll have to find uh, if the jury, the votes of the jury are coherent with all the votes of other juries. So if you behave dishonestly, you will be highly incoherent with the other jury members. And so we, you will lose some reputation tokens. So this will ensure that uh, juries were either dishonest or just bad at uh, looking at cases, will lose their reputation and won't be taken anymore to, to arbitrate or to be jury members. So this is essentially a, a, modular, a modular service that you can insert a dependency into your, uh, that you can insert a dependency into your smart contract flow uh, so that if yeah. there is a dispute, you can then refer it to the decentralized court that can return a Boolean, right? Yeah, that, that's how it works. We have some um, uh, some virtual uh, contract, which uh, you, you can't just make it. It's, uh, you have to have your contract inheriting from this contract. And if your contract is inheriting from this contract, it will be arbitrable by the court. The court will yes, send a Boolean and ask, is it a ruling A or ruling B? And your contract have to implement what is ruling A or ruling B. So this is this is 
awesome. This is real sci-fi because you've got now. I mean, if uh, I mean the idea, obviously, uh, of of the decentralized court, and this seems to be a uh, a design pattern that's emerging, is that rather than have a build your own arbitration system like they have in Open Bazaar or in BitSquare, you can just refer to the uh, the decentralized court to uh, to come to a ruling. And the decentralized court can, uh, or to come to a solution to arbitration, and the decentralized court itself can build standards around what is uh, what are various classes of evidence uh, for various kinds of um, you know ab- arbitration uh, arbitration proceedings. Yeah, yeah, that's the case. We see the Ethereum computer as as a computer, so we build one brick. Of, uh, of software on this computer, even if it's some kind of special software, because it's also interacting with uh, other people, arbitrators, for example. Uh, and we expect also other people to build on top of it. And so if you are able to easily have arbitration for your disputes, you may build other kind of decentralized services uh, way faster than if you needed to have your own arbitration system. And so you talk about open bazaar. So yeah, we could have some uh, kind of open bazaar or decentralized eBay uh, on Ethereum uh, using uh, the court. Um, another um, really promising application is to have uh, some freelancer application on the court. Uh, and also, we also talk a lot about uh, decentralized insurances. And it's also a way to make sure that um, no one is going to claim a lot of um, make a lot of frivolous assurance claims to the decentralized assurance and just uh, taking all the money. So you can get some the code verifying that the insurance claim are real and not uh, just uh, an attack of a business party. This is really exciting because for me, I remember uh, just to, you know to be completely divergent in uh, in, in what we're talking about. Um, I uh, way back in two thousand and fourteen, I remember when BitSquare emerged and what absolutely captured my imagination with BitSquare and really gave me an understanding of how far reaching uh, these uh, these blockchain-based platforms could be was its uh, proposed arbitration system. And then to see two years later after slavish work, Manfred Correa built BitSquare and the <laughs> and his arbitration mechanism and everything and made this thing a reality and it works. It's brilliant. That really made me realize how powerful these uh, these systems could be because you need a way to resolve disputes within the uh, the the decentralized and uh, and pseudonymous world. So this is really cool. And uh, and I'm wondering, how long have you been working on it a- as a concept? I mean, did you just launch straight into the uh, into the hackathon with this idea? Or have you, um, is this something that's been rattling around for a while? So I had the idea like three months ago, uh, but I only started to work on it, like producing real stuff uh, during the hackathon. And how... Uh, how big's your team? I'm sorry? How big's your team? Oh, uh, we are four. Um, most of us are in France, but we also have uh, one Russian in uh, Thailand. Um, and uh, we expect to, to grow a little bigger after the Hackathon because during the Hackathon, we're supposed to be four, so we, we can't have more members. But in a few days, I think we'll have a, a new member um, focus on the um, arbitration and mediation uh, part um, because right now we are mostly um, on uh, the, the software side, software and scientific and mathematical side. 
What? But uh, even if you have something already working from a game theoretical point of view, uh, you need to it to be user friendly. You need to have people happy with their arbitration, and we have a lot of um, kind of social uh, part of the project which uh, haven't been uh, even um, started yet. So, what are you guys' backgrounds? So, I'm a computer scientist, and I um, graduated um, like a few months ago. Uh, I was interested by Bitcoin since, uh, I don't remember the date, but it was when Bitcoin was uh, about um, $100, so (laughs) it gives you some idea of the date. Uh, I uh, was also interested by Ethereum, even uh, before the Ethereum was there, I I thought everything uh, during the pre-sale and stuff like that. Um, I'm also interested in um, cryptocurrency and more, in a broader sense, on decentralized system from a political point of view. And in fact, that's, that's why I get into, into Bitcoin and uh, SRM in the first place. And I know wanted to to, to make a real uh, impact and a real progress uh, on the construction of the decentralized world and its philosophical implications. So how long until this thing is functional and, uh, and we can start using it as part of our peer-to-peer uh, I guess business protocols that we're probably going to see start emerging next year with Safe Market and uh, and Arcade City and things like that. So we'll have the proof of concept ready in uh, less than a week. The smart contract, the proof of concept is already ready, but just a proof of concept. So we still have a lot of um, part of the contract to improve, and then we expect like six months to one year to to continue the project before making a uh, crowdfunding. And after the crowdfunding, we also expect six months to one year before having a, a ready version. So I would say in one or two years. So what takes so long to build? What takes so long to design? Uh, so right now, the reputation token management system is really simple. It's uh, for the proof of concept. It's if uh, you if you vote it differently than the outcome, you lose some token. So it's a really basic one. But uh, we expect to have um, some kind of machine learning algorithm to find a score of uh, coherence between votes and to, to be able to, to spot the dishonest arbitrators and to make them lose reputation uh, and uh, give it to the honest arbitrators. And this can take some time because um, on the blockchain, you can, yeah, you can compute everything, but you can compute only everything, but it's really costly. So you, you, we won't do the whole machine learning algorithm on the blockchain, but we have way to, while making every observator's, um, um, why we can prove to every external observator that the algorithm has been done outside the blockchain, um, we start putting it on the blockchain. So the basic idea is that anyone can put the result of the algorithm on the contract, but if you are able to show that some part of the result is wrong, you are able to put your own result. And so as soon as you have a correct result, no one is able to show that the part of the result is wrong. And so the correct result stays. And proving that some part of the result is uh, wrong is way easier than computing everything on the blockchain, where we'll have some gas limit problem and high uh, computational cost. Uh, this computer science problems and we are starting to explore, and we also will have um, uh, the communication and um, and social part of the project to to resolve to. 
Well, thanks for joining me, Clement. I think we're almost certainly going to have a uh, another more in-depth conversation in the future, but it will have to wait for another episode. I uh, I wish you guys the best of luck and uh, and look forward to seeing how all of this pans out. Okay, thank you, Arthur, and see you in another episode. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, Arthur, what's up? Not hello, Arthur. Uh, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Hey, is that is that Steve Wozniak on the line? <laughs> <laughs> he's our he's our secret fifth member. <laughs> you need a secret weapon. Well, thanks for having us on. Hey, it's my pleasure. Great. Well, in fact, you know, let's uh, let's let's dive right into it. Would you guys mind sounding off? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, my name's John Garrett. Uh, I. I guess this was kind of uh, the project was kind of initiated by myself. Uh, I live in Ontario, Canada. I've uh, been involved in Ethereum for for some time now, and um, was uh, um, I guess a recipient of a Dev Grant uh, Dev Grant uh, back for my project called F Embedded. And um, you know, at this point, just kind of looking to grow that into something more. And uh, was able to stumble upon uh, three awesome people that uh, are really helping out and making something of this. James Johnson. Um, I- been uh, actually knew John online uh, for a year before we actually met in person. I am the co-founder of the local Dallas Ethereum Developers Meetup with Hudson Jameson here, and uh, I think uh, what sort of spurred this whole project with all of us together was our IoT Blink example that we put up as part of our meetup. Uh, name is Hudson Jameson. I uh, go by Suptacular online on Reddit, and I've been. Uh, Ethereum enthusiast for a while. I co-run the Dallas Ethereum meetup with James, and uh, currently I'm doing just a variety of work, uh, primarily with the Ethereum Foundation uh, in different roles. And I'm really excited about this project because I think it fits uh, some roles that are currently holes in blockchain technology. All right, and I'm Lainey Fisher. Um, I am the graphic designer for this group. Uh, James Johnson is actually who I've been connected with for about a year and a half now, and I've worked with uh, previous projects with him, including blockchain. So that's kind of how we got connected, and then I jumped in with him as soon as I heard about what was going on here. But um, I've been involved in UX, UI with startups, corporate, branding agencies, boutique agencies, so... I'm really excited to be a part of this team. They're a group of awesome people. So how did Ethereum Embedded turn into uh, Project Oaken and uh, and find itself represented in the EtherCamp Hackathon? John here. Uh, I guess really it, 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 it probably began before uh, F-Embedded even. Um, I entered uh, a hackathon uh, with the uh, Toronto Bitcoin Expo in 2014 with a project called Airlock where we're, uh, um, you know, our use case was to um, basically decentralize uh, Airbnb utilizing the Ethereum platform. And, um, you know, that, that kind of grew into F-Embedded. And uh, from there, again, as James had mentioned, uh, he came up with, uh, you know, this great video presentation for the Dallas Ethereum meetup with his uh, Blink IoT example, uh, which is essentially when you send a transaction to a contract, it uh, uh, triggers an output on the, on a, let's, for example, a Raspberry Pi, 
and you get a blinking LED, which in the hard world, hardware world, if, if anyone's not familiar with it, that's essentially the hello world of hardware is to blink an LED. <laughs> and so that was just, you know, the, the very, very basic uh, example of, of I, I guess, the power of Ethereum. Because as soon as you can blink an LED, you can control anything. That was kind of an example of one direction, right? So uh, an Ethereum contract triggering an output on a Raspberry Pi. So kind of the next step is, well, let's flip that around. And can we get a, a hardware input or a sensor input on the Raspberry Pi to trigger a contract? And so, you know, that opens up the other half of that that world of, of the interaction between Ethereum and, hard, and uh, you know, hardware devices or the real world. Um, so I really latched on to James when he did that presentation. I thought he did a great job. You know, and, and uh, uh, what Hudson had done uh, uh, as well, uh, being involved in the community. Um, I think, Hudson, you, you were involved in uh, ETH Champ as well. And, um, you know, just two guys that I, I was really interested in teaming up with and, and putting something together. Um, you know, and obviously, uh, uh, Laney has done just a fantastic job since then. But to, more to the point, Arthur, and to answer your question, it just kind of grew. I guess is, is the real answer. Um, once I had saw James's presentation, I offered to host um, uh, a link to that on uh, my F Embedded website. Um, and uh, you know, that uh, uh, working relationship kind of grew from there. And it was funny when I asked James, I said, hey, do you want to uh, put a project into uh, hack.ether.camp? Uh, his answer was an immediate yes. I, I wasn't even uh, given the opportunity to explain to him what my idea was or what I wanted to do. Um, I think we just knew at that point that, that we wanted to work together on, on something really cool. And uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that was our motivation. And, and from there, um, it, it's been an amazing, uh, amazing uh, time working with these guys. I can't say that enough. Hudson, what attracted you to working with John Garrett? Well, I had seen uh, what John had done in the F Embedded space, um, you know, bringing the Ethereum Lite client and even full clients sometimes to these Raspberry Pis and BeagleBone, uh, you know, small computers. And uh, I had also, you know, done a lot with James and the uh, Ethereum community and see them, you know, posting all the time on the Reddit. And I just kind of knew they were good people just because I've interacted with them before. So it's a rare opportunity in the cryptocurrency world to find like legitimately good people who aren't going to you know, stab you in the back or who aren't really motivated entirely by money or anything like that. And they just really love making cool technology. So uh, I thought this was a perfect project to get involved in and to lend some of my smart contract uh, building experience. Uh, yeah, it's pretty much just good people, good project, great idea. Uh, and that's what got me in. It pretty much went down the way John said. Uh, <laughs> contacted me uh, over Twitter and said, do you want to do an entry? And without even knowing what we were going to build, I said, absolutely. Yeah, it, 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 uh, it seemed like a, a, a good time to exercise some of the stuff we've been learning for the past couple of years uh, in an open, healthy competition. What's your background and, uh, and how do you apply it to, uh, to the Oaken project? Uh, I have a... Uh, um, a formal education in uh, computer science and business um, from Texas A&M University, um, and uh, I've uh, actually graduated university in 2000. Um, I'm an army brat, so I've lived all over the world, and uh, uh, my current profession is actually I'm a software executive. So I actually uh, um, I, I like to sort of um, practice what I preach, and I like to get my hands dirty with uh, technology. 
in order to do my job effectively. So, but that's uh, sort of my background. You know, I recognize early on, uh, and I think I came by way of Dogecoin to the cryptocurrency community. <laughs> uh, again, the probably framed about the same exact way that Hudson just framed it, which was good people, good good technology, um, and sort of learned the power of cryptocurrency that way. Um, so you could say I'm a shibe. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, that, that's uh, that, that's my background, and that's that's sort of the, the 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 synopsis of how I got here. So, what is the business opportunity you see behind Project Oaken? Yeah, uh, so I guess uh, first first off, we uh, we'll refer to our use case that we're presenting for uh, hack.ether.camp, um, which is our uh, our water meter example. We have described it in in detail in our video that's posted online. Now. Hello from Project Oaken, where the blockchain meets the Internet of Things. Thank you for your time and consideration for our entry into the Camp Ether Hackathon. Our entry, Project Oaken, is a secure, autonomous, machine-to-machine IoT platform built to provide the underlying infrastructure needed to power smart cities. This includes both a software and hardware solution that integrates into existing systems and processes. Our overall project vision is to be the IoT hardware and distributed software platform that powers smart cities with automated machine-to-machine controls and true value transfer. Let's see what's at the core of our offering, hardware. Our hardware profile starts with a Linux-based SoC or system on a chip. Within that SoC, we install an Ethereum node, an IPFS node, and Node.js with some supporting Node.js modules. In our proof of concepts, we have used the BeagleBone Black prototyping board, but because we have utilized the Ethereum client in light client mode, this can be swapped for smaller Linux-based SoCs like the Intel Edison, Intel Joule, or Samsung Arctic chips. On that Linux instance, we connect to the Ethereum blockchain via an Ethereum node in light client mode. We connect to IPFS distributed file storage via an IPFS node, and we connect the hardware via GPIO with Node.js. The Node.js software interacts with the hardware GPIO, the local Ethereum node, and the local IPFS node. All combined, this allows for hardware orchestration and automation using the IPFS distributed file system in the Ethereum blockchain. The Oaken platform. The platform grows what we like to call acorns for each physical application. Our simple platform design uses Node.js to interact with the GPIO of the machine where hardware can be monitored and controlled. In this outbound transactions example, let's assume a thermometer reaches a certain temperature and this triggers an action to be taken. From this trigger, any valuable or functional hardware state data is read and recorded in IPFS, generating an IPFS file hash. This IPFS hash is then stored in a smart contract on the Ethereum blockchain using our base level store and signal pattern. From the smart contract, we use the event signal feature to signal other hardware or smart contracts to take action themselves. For inbound transactions, the platform will monitor contract signals. If necessary for the application, we will read data from the stored IPFS file hash and then take action on hardware outputs. In this example, a light bulb blinks when the temperature on another device reaches the threshold. Utilizing the Oaken platform, we produce acorns. Acorns are IoT machines with autonomous communication over redundant node systems. Acorns each have a special purpose but can be easily replicated for multiple machine applications and can scale. 
Let's look at an ACORNS application and why this is valuable. In this example, we will outfit a water meter pump with a special purpose water meter ACORN and emulate a city water provider with another. But first, to understand why this is valuable, let's look at a historic model for distributing water to recipients. On the left side of the slide, the water recipient uses water that is tracked by a meter. The water provider employee will drive to the water meter to read the recipient's usage. Usage is invoiced and payment is mailed via truck back to the water provider. Now let's look at a current model. A connected water meter sends meter usage data to cloud server infrastructure. Those servers send that usage data to the water provider. The water recipient's usage is tallied and they are invoiced electronically. The water recipient pays for water usage by credit card using more cloud server infrastructure. The water recipient's payment is taxed at an average of 3% for using the credit card payment processing system, reducing the amount of value transferred between the water recipient and the water provider. Now let's look at the Oaken model using our ACORNS. The water recipient's usage is recorded in the distributed file system and that location is stored in a smart contract. The water provider monitors this usage. The usage of a certain amount triggers a payment from the water recipient's water meter's ACORN on the water meter itself. The water meter uses a smart contract to authenticate itself and move value from a multi-signature contract wallet to the water provider. The water provider receives 99.99% of value after blockchain usage fees, and now the water provider needs significantly less cloud server infrastructure. Stay tuned to Project Oaken for other acorns that demonstrate other industrial and personal applications. To state the obvious, you know, move from a, a very outdated, uh, outdated uh, kind of, you know, you can refer to it as the client-server era uh, to a, a true peer-to-peer -peer transaction. So, Lainey, how have you found the experience of the EtherCamp Hackathon? I mean, it's a, uh, it's, this is the second time it's run this year, and it's basically become an institution. It's the biggest gathering of, uh, of Ethereum hackers and probably blockchain enthusiasts that takes place anywhere in the world, probably, even though it may only, may not be in the flesh. So, what's your experience been? And, uh, and, and what is the, uh, what is the UI, UX component of, uh, of Project Oaken that uh, you perform? So I think that my involvement really started whenever, obviously when James contacted me, it was kind of the same situation. Like I will do whatever James asks me to because we've had really great experience in the past. And I know he's a passionate person that would only connect me to other passionate people. So anything I can do to expand and broaden my knowledge, even though um, this is not my background and um, I've learned a lot doing this hackathon. So I've, I've learned a lot about the passion that these guys have. I've learned a lot about the industry, the future of blockchain and IoT. And basically my role is I've done the branding, the website, video, putting together editing footage, anything that I can do to help make us essentially look good because what they're doing underneath is so vital and so important. Um, anything I can do to give that a skin and make us look as important as we actually are is huge. So I jumped on that opportunity as soon as I got, got the call from James. Well, fantastic, guys. It's been great having you on. I look forward to seeing how the hackathon evolves and uh, and where you guys wind up, probably on the top, knowing uh, knowing you, Hudson. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Thank you. 
Thank you. Head on over to hack.ether.camp for the full picture. And thank you to Dreamers Delight for the additional music. This has been the Ether Review. Visit etherreview.info for more episodes, email contact at etherreview.info or follow us on Twitter at etherreview. Thank you.